we will start today's session with uh, Mark Eckler, Managing Director of Mass Venture Partners. Mark has been here before, and I'm really looking forward to catching up with you, Mark. Yeah, Sarah Mama, thanks so much. It's so nice to see you, and congratulations. 515 interviews. Wow. That's, uh, well, you know, done so much good work. Thank you. You know, we do everything virtually, so this is 515 free public roundtables, but we have thousands of other roundtables behind the paywall. You know, the you know premium program we do also with roundtables, so we do a lot of roundtables. Well, <laughs> I'm sure everybody's grateful for all of the work that you do. Thank you so much. So, Mark, let's catch up. You you were here a while ago. Um, let us uh, talk about what has happened since. Where are you with your fund? What are you seeing? What are you investing in? What do you want to invest in? Let's catch up. Sure, yeah. It's, it's, well, first of all, I always start out with gratitude. You know, it was a, a very difficult year for everybody, and I'm grateful that uh, our portfolio companies are doing well, and our families are healthy, and you know, I don't take that for granted. So, we, you know, I spent a lot of time talking to CEOs, especially during this last year, about resilience and mental health and persistence and just, you know, how do you get through difficult times? So, yeah. but but all in all, things are well. So What's what would that? you like to tell me? You asked a lot of questions. Let's, uh, let's talk about... Um... You know, what is the fund situation? Which fund are you investing from right now? What is the size of the fund? And what, uh, you know, what is the fund philosophy currently? Yeah, so we're on our second fund. Uh, this fund is a $46 million fund. We invest, we have two types of investments. We'll do a, we call it a math 100, where we'll put in $100,000 at a very early stage. Mm -hmm. Just to get to know the company, get to know the founders, help if we can, see product market fit. And then the majority of our capital we deploy in the first real round of institutional funding. So I don't know if we call that a, a seed or a seed plus or an A. It, it mm -hmm. kind of depends on where you are. But the first real round of institutional funding where we will write a check of one to two million dollars in that first round up to five million dollars across the lifetime of, a, of a, an investment. Okay. And, and, uh, and in go ahead. Sorry. I was going to ask, when you write these $100,000 checks, are they concept financings, or are you looking for something already done? What, what triggers a 100K check? Yeah, typically the product is built. Uh, it can have very minimal revenue. But what we're really looking for is some kind of demonstration uh, or the beginnings of product market fit. And okay. what we are, our investment thesis, we tend to, we, um, we, we're software technology. We tend to be B2B SaaS. So we're 90-10. We're 90%. Uh, of our investments are B2B. We do a little bit of B2C, but our fundamental investment thesis, you may remember, is around sales and customer acquisition. We are looking for companies 
who not only can build a great product, we think a great product is table stakes, yeah. but they know how to sell the product. And so we think the greatest product in the world without customers is a great product, but it's not a business. So right. what we're looking for is an articulation and some form of leverage in customer acquisition. Mm-hmm. And um, you are still investing all over the United States, yeah? We are. And Canada. We've made three investments in Canada. Uh, on all of it. We, we probably call ourselves Midwest-centric. We're yes, based in probably. Chicago, and about a third of our investments are in the Midwest, and then we invest all over the country. And uh, what has been your experience in COVID? Are you investing in people without actually meeting them in person through Zoom calls? We are, and it's um, it's challenging. It's challenging for the, equally on both sides of the equation. You know what I really – so we've been investing, but I'll tell you what I miss as an investor. I miss going to a company and – seeing the culture, seeing the people, seeing how they interact with one another, seeing how the management team interacts with one another. Um, That is hard to do in COVID. Yeah, Um, of course. It has stopped us from investing, but I miss that personal touch. Yeah, well, I think, you know, for, for what we do, it hasn't really changed very much because we do everything virtually anyway, and Mostly what we are doing is strategy work, and um, that hasn't really been a problem. But I think for what you do, which is actually, you know, going deeper and, you know, doing that due diligence and getting to know the people at a much deeper level before you write significant checks, I think it is a little bit tricky. And I, I would say that the inability to sit across a table and have a meal together or a few meals together is, oh. is, is, is a disadvantage, I would say, on investment. And by the way, it's bi-directional. So yeah, I say to entrepreneurs, yeah, you know, you have to – picking who your investors are. And I, I recognize that for most entrepreneurs, it's hard to raise money. But yeah. if you can raise money, you know, they should be as selective on who they're, who's going to sit on their board, who their investors are. Do they share values? And it's also hard for the entrepreneur to get a sense of the investor equally. Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, you're entering into a multi-year relationship, you know, because you are in the early stages. You're probably entering into a five, seven, ten-year relationship without ever having a human, you know, interaction in person. That is, I would say that's tricky. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No qualifier necessary. It is yeah. hard, and it's hard for both sides. Right. So let's talk about trends. Uh, what are you investing in? Uh, if you want to, you know, use some examples, some case studies. Uh, what's what are you seeing? What would you like to see? What do you? What trends are you picking up that you would like to invest in more? So I'm going to go a little bit different. I'm going to answer your question, but in in preparation for this, I was thinking thinking about this question, and I'm going in a slightly different area. 
Mm-hmm. And so here's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in trust. I think we live in a society where trust, trust between companies and, and their customers, trust between companies and their employees, trust between mm-hmm. companies and their partners. I think trust is at a premium. And I think most entrepreneurs don't spend enough time thinking about the importance and value of what does it mean to be trusted. Mm-hmm. The second area that I'm really interested in is simplicity. One of the things that I'm, I think in technology in general is that we tend to overbuild our products with too many features. And mm-hmm. part of the challenge that I see all the time, um, we see between 1,500 and 1,700 companies a year at math. And so I, I, we get a lot of data points. And oftentimes I hear uh, entrepreneurs say, our product does X, our product does Y, our product does Z. And what I often think is they really don't understand their customer deep enough to have the courage to really focus. And I, mm-hmm. so one of the things that I really tend to, to work on is an investment thesis around simplicity. The next area is empathy. And empathy, so I'll give you an example. I oftentimes ask enterprise salespeople, who's your um, champion? It's always somebody. And I say, okay, how, what are their KPIs, their key performance indicators? What, when they get a bonus at the end of the year, what is that bonus predicated on? What are the financial levers of your customer? Mm-hmm. And most salespeople don't, and most entrepreneurs really don't know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. And to me, it, the best salespeople, the best entrepreneurs, really deeply, truly understand their customers, understand the language of their customers. And I have a saying, it's not about you. It's not about you, it's about them. And so one of the things that I probe and I think a lot about is empathy. The next thing I look for is leverage, especially in B2B sales, but but also in B2C, which is how can you force somebody to take an action? An example Mm -hmm. might be compliance, governmental regulation. It could be insurance that says, you know, we won't grant you insurance unless you do X. It could Mm be... A brand or a trust arbitrage with, you know, uh, you know like Salesforce, Salesforce installers, whatever the the leverage in a sales model, we're particularly I'm particularly sensitive to that. And then the last thing, the last trend, and I know this isn't where you were going. But when you ask the question, I know this is sort of atypical from these. No, no, I, I love to hear. Um... I love to hear actually analysis like this. In uh, so please go ahead. We can we can continue. Go ahead. Absolutely. And that's the last thing I look for. So when I ask people who's the champion, especially in in B two B sales, and it's very rarely the CFO, the chief financial officer. And mm-hmm. so I say, what would it take to get the CFO to be your champion? Not mm-hmm. just to approve the budget, not just to approve the expenditure, 
but to actually be so excited and enthusiastic based on the financial implications of what your product or service has to offer, that they're actually, he or she gets on the, you know, stands on the table and pounds his or her fist and says, not only am I approving this, you know, here's the budget, go do this. Because the financial argument is so compelling. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I'll leave you with this, which is human nature for all of us is we gravitate towards our strengths and we avoid our weaknesses. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. I mean, that's human nature. Right. Yeah. And most technical people, most entrepreneurs in technology, they either are very technical or they're very, maybe they're financially oriented, but they're not very good at sales. And they always say, well, like, like if we build it, they will come. And one of the statistics from the National Venture Capital Association, which I think is really scary, uh, true, but scary, is that of all the companies that get venture capital funding, 67% of them return less than 100% of the capital they receive. Mm-hmm. 67%. So, you know, in my venture capital shop, we see around about 1,500 deals a year. We make about 10 investments. So mm-hmm. 1,500 down to 10. And according to the National Venture Capital Association, of those 10, hopefully we're better than average, but of those 10, uh, you know, seven are going to fail. Yeah. So, so it's really Oh, I think I'm losing you. Uh, we are here. You're back. There we go. I think your video kind of reset. Can you hear me? I can hear you, but I can't see you. Your video is, so let's is going. Keep going. Uh, let's keep talking. I think your video seems to be going in and out. Um, so, yes, I think you're absolutely... Uh, correct on all of those fronts. So let me ask you a, a question based on what you said. You said you do mostly B2B SaaS. Now, how much of that is enterprise? How much of it is small business? It's a mix. You know, we, we like enterprise sales, but we also do some small business as well. Um, yeah, our portfolio is pretty eclectic. And what has changed in all these things that you said just now, um, all the principles that you said just now, apply to, I would say, uh, enterprise sales more even because people, uh, you know, it goes through more scrutiny in enterprise sales and, and the price tags are much higher. Um, has anything from your point of view, has anything changed drastically in in the sales process of late? Well, sure. So COVID changes everything, of course, and it's very hard for sales, especially enterprise salespeople, um, selling a larger ticket item when you're doing it remotely and not face to face. And what we saw in, I would say, April and May was a pretty dramatic uh, slowdown in sales. But by the time October, November, December, uh, sales picked right back up. And in almost every one of our enterprise portfolio companies, uh, 
they're either at or ahead of where they were, depending upon the industry that they serve, of course. Yeah. But, well, you know, well, they had, yeah. everybody has to adjust. Sorry, come again? I, I'm sorry. Yeah, I said everybody has to adjust. You know, and it, it took some to time adjust, to, yeah. to adjust. And and if you look at the public market, right, the tech stocks, the public tech stocks have done very well and their uh, earnings have been good. Um, it's not like they're missing a lot of their numbers. Many are actually overshooting their numbers. So um, it, it's, it's kind of striking how well um, people have adjusted to, you know, buying technology without – human interaction in person, even large deals, right? Yeah, it, it's really interesting how that has happened. One of the things that I'm working on is I'm calling business continuity. So there's a couple of concepts here. The first is, can you make the sale? The second is, can you upsell, land and expand? Can you grow within that account? And then the third concept is retention. And one of the things that I'm particularly interested in following over the course of time when an enterprise sale is made remotely is does it impact retention? And particularly, you know, like year two, year three. And one of the things that I'm thinking a lot about is business continuity. And a lot of VCs don't like services or consulting, uh, I actually like it. I like yeah, being – yeah, I like being closer to the customer. And one of the things I'm working with some of my, comp my companies on is this offering this business continuity service that sort of manages uptime, manages utilization, and when they see a drop-off, yeah. Being able to right there and then immediately in real time figure out why there's a drop-off of utilization. Yeah. And one of the things that I'm finding, especially in enterprise, is that um, there's a lot of employees who either leave or they get reassigned to another task. And if there's some specific knowledge that they have, they've been trained to use the software – and there's not anybody else in the organization that's been trained to use whatever that enterprise software is, what happens is retention starts to suffer. Yeah. And so I think we also have to adjust our business models. Um, and I, I think it can be high margin. Uh, uh, I don't think you have to give that away. I think you can charge for it. Um, but I think it's really important to stay close to your customer, especially at all times, but especially during a pandemic. Well, I think where the, the, the bias against services comes from the old-fashioned VC world where people always wanted more margin and uh, the services are less margin, less scalable because you need human beings involved and, and so on. But I think uh, in, in a world where people are buying stuff from the Internet, even if, if there are salespeople involved on the Internet and and, and if you try to go that model with absolutely no human touch anywhere after the sale, I think actually the chances of things not sticking is, is very high. So I think having some services involved in the to shepherd things through and, and making the you know making the um, 
ROI come through and, and really penetrating the usage of the product into the organization or distribute, you know, uh, adoption of the product in the organization requires some amount of hand-holding and so forth. So I think I, I resonate with what you're saying completely. So, so here's what I tell entrepreneurs. They say VCs might not like service revenue for the reasons you just said, but they really don't like uh, high retention rates. I'm sorry, flip it. <laughs> when, 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 lower retention rates. When, when, when the customers start to drop off. Because it's really expensive to get a customer. Yeah. Right? And right? so, you know, it's just common sense. Yeah. No, absolutely. So um, let's talk about a couple of portfolio companies. What are some interesting, what are investments that you're really excited about? What are they doing and, and what are you seeing there? Thanks. You know, it's a really, uh, there's some really interesting companies in our portfolio. We have over 55 investments. I think mm -hmm. some of the big ones that many people will know is Acorns. Acorns is a financial services company helping people uh, save money. Uh, they're doing very, very well. It's a unicorn. Uh, Built-in built in is growing leaps and bounds. They provide uh, have services in many cities around the country that build tech communities and help people find jobs. Uh, Eat Street, uh, food delivery, Eat Street is based in Madison, Wisconsin, and they decided that they were going to go after uh, secondary markets. So they didn't want to compete in Chicago and New York against Grubhub or San Francisco. So they went to, you know, smaller, mid-sized college towns and they're, mm -hmm. they're in, in a pandemic. Their, their business just took off like crazy. Um, Apervita in healthcare. So mm -hmm. Apervita is a company that does, uh, that creates a platform that allows entities to exchange data and analytics in a safe and secure way, and specifically in healthcare. So if you think about the cloud, uh, once you put information into the cloud, you can do three things with it. You can retrieve it, you can store it, or you can share it outside of your entity. And mm -hmm. what Apravita does is it allows, in this case, hospitals and payers in healthcare to share data and analytics with other entities in a safe and secure HIPAA uh, way. And they have huge leverage in customer acquisition because they formed a partnership with the Joint Commission that certifies hospitals um, and um, makes hospitals eligible for Medicare reimbursement and the Joint Commission standardized on Apravita and forced every single hospital in the country to use Apravita to submit their data to the Joint Commission in order to be certified so they can get uh, Medicare reimbursement. That's a great example of leverage in a sales model. Mm -hmm. um, and another one I'm really excited about is Retrium. So Retrium uh, is a company that takes all of your uh, training uh, documentation, user manual, you know, uh, company manuals, employee manuals, HR documents, puts it in the cloud, 
and very easily allows any company, more for smaller companies, less than 500 employees, to share all of their important information with their employees. And that company's doubling year over year. They're doing great. And um, is the fund philosophy uh, chasing unicorns? Are you are all your companies looking to become unicorns? No, I you, you know I'm from Chicago. We're from the Midwest. We're very <laughs> I I like to roll up my sleeves and build real companies solving real problems. And um, you know if they turn into a unicorn, that's great. <laughs> you know, but I. You know, I, I, the the odds of that happening are so slim. We're we're not building our portfolio predicated upon the expectations that every company turns into a unicorn. I remember you said that last time as well. Uh, so I'm just checking if you have evolved from that perspective. Oh, although I wouldn't mind. I mean, it'd be nice. Sure, but, sure. <laughs> but, 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 but yeah, I think if your if your sole goal is to find companies that have the potential of becoming unicorns. You you invest differently. You ignore a lot of things that can be, you know, more modest returns. There are, you know, there are. There's a school of thought that would tell you that, you know, it takes as much effort to build a large, uh, crack a large problem as it does to crack a small problem. My response to that is, there aren't as many large problems as there are smaller problems. So. Yes, it takes as much effort to build a company. Any kind of company takes an incredible amount of effort. But you know, if you if you you know, given my agenda, which is to really do democratize entrepreneurship and and get people from all corners of the world to be able to do this, you can't have this this philosophy that everybody needs to be a very large company. Yeah, and you know, we we have a of mission, we really believe in a long time horizon. We're building a firm that we hope will be around for decades, that will endure, and we believe in building relationships and giving back. And so we have a, a you know, a give first mentality. We're always helping and mentoring entrepreneurs and doing whatever we can to build the flywheel, the ecosystem, like you're doing. And yeah. uh, you know, I think having that longer-term time horizon also enables us because we know we're going to be around for the next fund, the fund after that, and, you know, we, we like to invest in entrepreneurs. Well, you know, funds of your size, I've, I've talked to many of these because that is kind of really uh, where there's been an explosion of funds, the micro VC category and um, and we we see a lot of people coming from that world. Um, many of many of your you know colleagues or uh, peers in that segment are thinking very innovatively, and they're thinking of you know in some cases uh, exiting through strategic deals, uh, their portfolio. But also in some cases, I see people doing the very early stage and then exiting into. Series C or Series D, and uh, you know that has become a trend, actually. Yeah, so far we really like what we're doing, and we've decided in Fund Two, we had the first fund, 
we we kept the exact same investment thesis and philosophy. We had a little bit more money in our second fund, and you know we were investing more, but it's the exact same investment thesis. And we're we're about you know a year from now, at some point in time, we'll start the process for the next fund. And uh, we're you know we're we like our spot. We think we're really good at it in the early stage. And the way we think about it is value add. Is is you know, I've been a CEO four times. I've built and grown several companies, including a multi-billion-dollar company. And we think that our that money's just money, and our value add is not our money. Our value add is all of our operating skills and experience, and the ability to help our portfolio companies grow and scale. And we're yeah. particularly good at the early stages, and so that's what we're going to stick at. Great. Well, wonderful catching up. Well, maybe after COVID, if you're out here, we should uh, plan on getting together in person. So oh, I would love it. But, uh, you know, this morning, actually, I read that uh, California has just authorized a much broader distribution of vaccines, but nobody knows how to get it. <laughs> so the bureaucracy and the incompetence of the bureaucracy is really mind-boggling. What's going on is just mind-boggling. Anyway, delighted to see you, and uh, we'll catch up soon again. Bye. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye.